Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic and talking about, uh, on Fridays, talking about Surefoot and the Surefoot equine stability pads. So um, what I'm going to do today, since it's the beginning of a new year, is kind of do an overall view of Surefoot and kind of where it came from, how I developed it, what's happening with Surefoot right now, kind of the big picture. And then um, if any of you have any questions at any point in time that are uh, on live, please do put them in the chat or the Q&A. Um, the questions always help me. All right, so um, by the way, we have a new logo. I know it's kind of shiny. If I just kind of like hold it out, you can see that it's, um, we've rebranded, um, thought it'd be nice for a new year to start out with a new look. Um, we've had the other one for about five years. So really excited about it. Gotten great feedback on the new logo, which is fabulous. Um, you know, it's uh, until you really put it out there, you never quite know what you have. So that's true of Surefoot. So to kind of give you the, the big picture overview, um, this is something that I started back in 2012, in May, 2012. So we're now looking at nine years this May um, that I've been uh, developing Surefoot, expanding Surefoot, and um, and and watching it grow uh, organically. And I think that uh, for me, one of the greatest things is to see how um, Surefoot uh, has a life of its own. And um, if you're not a member of the fans club, the fans of Surefoot on Facebook, please do join. People are putting up great case studies and stories about their horses and how they're using the pads and the improvements. Um, there's a great story from Holland. I keep trying to get it up onto um, the Surefoot page, but it's on the fans page. Honcharola is our three hoof over there. And this horse got loose and into the wild in, in Netherlands. I know that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but there, there is wilderness area uh, or places where horses can certainly get lost. And they finally recovered him. He was 28 years old and they got him back and they used Surefoot to help reduce his anxiety. Um, so that's a lovely story that's on the fans page. So that's that to me is so exciting to see that you, the fans of Surefoot, have really uh, grasped this thing and recognize its value. Um, and uh, it, just, it just warms my heart to know how many horses are being helped. So it all started back in May, 2012. Um, as many of you may know, I'm a Feldenkrais practitioner. And Feldenkrais techniques, Feldenkrais method was developed by Moisha Feldenkrais who was an engineer and uh, an athlete and very, very brilliant man. And he discovered that you can't think a thought without a movement and you act in accordance to your own self-image. And I'll say that again. You can't think a thought without a movement. And what that means is that when you think thoughts, there is movement. Now, this is when you're riding your horse and you're really in sync and you're just like, feel like your horse is reading your thoughts. He's actually reading your body but it's the thought is creating movement in your body that is perceptible to your horse and to which he is responding, which is why you feel like he's, he's uh, reading your thoughts. So, you know, some people want to say, well, you know, how can that be true? But if we want to look at that statement, you can't think a thought without a movement at another level, we can talk about chemicals, brain chemicals, in other words, when you think a thought, there has to be a flow of brain chemicals that, you know, activate the brain and therefore there is movement. And, you know, breathing is movement. Life is movement. It's when we stop moving that we die. And 
you know, my mom passed a couple of years ago and essentially she was moving less and less and less and she finally passed very peacefully. Um, but we stop moving when we're dead. So movement is life. Movement is life to the horse as well. And it's been interesting to have some recent guests where we've talked about pain and movement and how, you know, horses in pain stop moving or move less or move in a very stilted way. So they're decreasing their movement and they are certainly designed to move. Now, it doesn't mean they're gonna be running around the field all day long, but in their more native environment, uh, food is sparse and they have to keep moving and grazing and moving and grazing to get enough nutrients. So they really are designed to move and um, I'm not sure if this was on a webinar or what, but uh, um, I was reading where the evolution of the long head for the horse is so that their eyes are up even when their mouth is down. So if we put our mouth on the ground to eat grass, we can't see anything because our eyes are oriented down toward the ground. But if our eyes were up here, we could be grazing along and we can still see and hear, ears even higher, see and hear what's going on in our world. Whereas with our face down, <laughs> it's not happening. So that's where we can see some uh, evolution of the animal designed to be able to, to keep an eye on its environment and be able to graze and in that moving. So you can't think a thought without a movement, basic tenet of Feldenkrais. And we act in accordance to our own self-image, another basic tenet of Feldenkrais. In other words, if your self-image is that you know, you're, you're tired and it's been a hard day and, you know, you're struggling to get to the barn. You, your body emulates that. You act in that manner. Um, and when you feel differently, you act differently. You know, when you're really proud of an accomplishment, you have a big smile, you come right out and you act in accordance to your self-image. And so this is where, you know, um, again, I'll take my mom as an example, because um, it's uh, so familiar. She would, oh, life is so awful. And so she, her, her, her perspective and her body image and her body language all mirrored her thoughts. Now, horses don't think thoughts the way we do. They don't have the frontal cortex to be able to think thoughts the way we do. But they do have thought because they obviously go, it's time to go to get to water. It's time to have something to eat. Do you have a carrot for me? So um, they have associations. And with that movements, um, uh, unlike, like I always tell people, like, you know, we dreamed of Star Trek and now we have communicators and wristwatches and tablets and all that sort of stuff. So, so we can fantasize. And I, uh, horses just don't have the capacity to fantasize, which is why when we say, oh, my horse was planning that. No, they just don't have that capacity. Um, and it's easy for us to try and put a human capacity on the horse when we don't understand the limitations to their physical brain. They just don't have much of a frontal lobe. But they are sensory beings. They're very attuned to their environment. They're very perceptive of their environment. It's really important that they know, you know that they're safe, where things are. When you, uh, in a home environment, particularly if you've ever done this, you've moved an object and suddenly the horses are freaking out because that's not where it belonged and it's not where it was yesterday. But you can take them to a totally strange place that they don't know and they can have all kinds of things that at home would be scary if I moved it. And they're like, oh, that's fine because that's where it is in that environment. They're not worried about it. So uh, when we talk about horses acting in accordance to their own self-image, 
if you have a horse that's in pain, he's going to, his, his body language, his movements are going to be that of a pain movement. You're going to see tension, you're going to see stilted, stiff limbs, you know, not moving freely, those kinds of things. And just as in humans, horses develop habits. And I think this is the piece that's really important to understand that habits, good and bad, develop actually really, really quickly. Um, so, you know, our typical habits are, I get up every morning, I've got to have my cup of coffee, or, you know, you look both ways before you cross the street. Habits are things that we do unconsciously, that we don't think about, that's an automatic program. Driving your car is the best example. Um, if you've ever watched someone learning to drive the car, they're having to pay attention to absolutely everything, the steering wheel and the pedals and the slow, and where's the traffic? And because they haven't developed the habit of driving. And as you develop a habit, and this is true in riding also, as you develop a habit, you need fewer and fewer brain cells to run the program. So, uh, you know, putting on your underwear in the morning, getting dressed, you don't think about it, you just get dressed, right? It's a habit, it's very efficient, it doesn't take long to get your socks on, you can think about six other things while you're doing it. Horses also have habits. Um, we train, training is developing habits. You know, put your head down to put your halter on, um, wait while I open the door, um, you know, pick up your foot. So habits are routines or programs that are unconscious that we don't think about that we can do. And that allows us to have the space to do and think other things. In other words, driving your car, if you had to pay as much attention driving your car as an adult as you did as a teenager, you would not be you know chatting with your friend and listening to the radio and daydreaming and driving 100 miles and forgetting that you've ever you know been past have i gone past because it's a very efficient program it does not require a lot of brain activity to run a habit and the benefit of habits is just that it doesn't require a lot of brain activity to run the habit so horses have habits just like people um, and most particularly, and here we are looking at the similarities, um, when we have pain, we start to move in another way. In other words, say I, I in fact, it happened to me the other day. I, I don't know what I did and I suddenly had heel pain in my right heel and I could palpate it and it was sore. I had no idea what I'd done, but it was clearly very sore. And I started to toe walk on my right foot and I completely changed my gait. And so now if we, excuse me, think about a horse with heel pain and he starts to stab his toe and walk toward his toe, he completely alters his gait. But when the pain is gone, very often these have movement patterns have now become habits. And so those habits are what we can look at so effectively with Surefoot to help bring awareness and another possibility and to allow change. And that's really um, in, its, in its pure form, Surefoot brings awareness to give an opportunity to allow change. And um, it all started back in May, 2012. So as a Feldenkrais practitioner, and I've studied the technique for 16 years, been a practitioner for six, uh, I don't know how many years now. Um, 
we're, I'm always looking for new ways to do things. And with my writing students, one of the most uh, strong habits that writers have is their foot in relation to the stirrup. So we're taught heels down, right? And that's probably, you know, many people, that's their very first lesson, heels down. We're not taught how to get our heels down. We're just taught to do it. And so we all do it differently because we don't have the information or the education to understand how to do it. And so people wind up bracing against their stirrups, stiffening, pushing the legs forward, rolling to the outside of the feet, curling the toes. They do all kinds of crazy things with their feet in order to attempt to get their heels down, which in the end should be a very passive type of motion, not an active motion. And that's, that's a whole nother story, but I'm just bringing this in because for years and years and years, I've used a Feldenkrais lesson called the artificial floor and turned it into what I call grounding the foot. And if anybody's ever watched me do this, I take a board, I don't have one handy, okay? I have the student on the horse take their foot out of the stirrup. I place my little board underneath their foot very gently. I just lift a tiny bit and slowly let down. And the nervous system is so marvelous that the nervous system starts having a seeking effect. It starts seeking the board. And as the foot starts seeking the board, a lot of the tension that's in the leg as a result of attempting to make your heel go down, that tension goes away. And so I'll do this several times. I typically just do one leg because I want to create a lot of contrast between the two legs. And I'll just gently lift, make contact, slowly release. If you want to know more about this, you can find it in my 40 Jumping Fixes book. Um, I also tell you how to do this on your own, how to do the Feldenkrais lesson of artificial floor. But anyway, I do this a bunch of times. And the riders to a person report that their leg is longer, it's more adherent, it's more grounded, it's softer, it sticks to the horse, it's, it's in place, they didn't have to work, they want the other leg done. And so, so I've been doing that since like 2001 or two, so quite a long time. Um, and so this whole idea of grounding the foot or putting input, gently input into the foot and then suggesting that the leg uh, lengthen. And in that lengthening, there's a decrease of tension. Okay, so instead of trying to force your leg down and your heel down, as you let go of the tension, as the muscles uh, relax and elongate, the, the heel can go down. And that's the, sadly, the misconception is that heels down should be something forced as about something that has to be a much more passive function that relates to how we use our entire body and our leg in relation to the stroke. So having done this for many, many years, um, that's the kind of thinking that I had going into this little project. And so in May, 2012, a horse came to me that I had seen for three years. His name was Dante. And when I started with him, he was lame. And so for three years prior to 2012, I would give this horse and his rider Feldenkrais lessons. And you're asked, how do I give a horse a Feldenkrais lesson? Well, kind of the same way I do a person, I use my hands. And I guide and show the body what is happening and then look for other opportunities, okay? So uh, Feldenkrais is not a massage technique. It's an awareness technique. It's about bringing in the awareness so that you can discover what's happening, what, you, what your pattern is. And then, you know, it's very much going with that pattern and uh, contrasting uh, 
one side to the other um, to create the awareness because with the awareness we change the the practitioner is not changing us or me if i have a practitioner work the practitioner is to bring in the awareness so that my nervous system goes oh oh there's another possibility oh i didn't know i could do that oh i thought my shoulder was like this and that's the way it was it was no it's like you can here's a really simple little feldenkrais lesson okay so just sit quietly and um and notice the distance from your right ear to your right shoulder. Just notice that distance from your right ear to your right shoulder. And then close your eyes and we'll just take you through this, right? Just close your eyes and very slowly, very slowly think of tilting your head in such a way that your right ear is going to get a tiny bit closer to your right shoulder, but only what's easy. So you're not gonna force it. You're not gonna do anything strenuous. If it's uncomfortable, you're gonna stop. You can visualize this. Just this tiny little movement of taking your right ear towards your right shoulder. And as you do that, notice if you sense anything at the back of the neck, in the jaw, around your eyes, your lips, and then just pause for a second and notice how that feels. And then very slowly begin to raise your right shoulder toward your ear, but only do what's easy. The smallest amount of movement possible that you can acknowledge that's comfortable and pleasurable and easy. And pause, and the pause is really important. The pause is actually the magic. The pause is when the nervous system kind of takes that little piece of information and goes, hmm, what was that? Okay. And then once again, think of lowering your right ear towards your shoulder just a tiny bit. And again, noticing how far down the spine can you feel this movement? So do you notice anything in the neck, in the upper back, between the shoulder blades? And you might even send something all the way down the pelvis, and it's okay if you don't. Okay, and pause, and then slowly bring the right shoulder toward the ear. Again, noticing if there's any movement along the ribs, the back of the neck, just a few times. Just the smallest, tiniest little movement, okay? And now think about bringing both the ear and the shoulder closer together at the same time just what's easy and sense down along the spine and over the ribs and notice if the shoulder blade is gliding over the ribs or if the shoulder blade and the ribs seem to be moving together and then just do that just a few times and pause and now just kind of take stock again about the distance from your ear to your shoulder and is anything different and compare that to the other side and so this is just the example of a feldenkrais awareness through movement lesson where you're verbally guided through movements to bring awareness and the movements are small and slow now i've been teaching this stuff for years but in light of all these webinars one of the things i've been learning is how this may be affecting the fascia, which is why it's so effective. 
And the more I learn about fascia, it's fascinating. I've had some great guests talk about fascia. The more we learn about fascia, the more you start to realize how important it is and how if it's sticky and stiff, it's going to restrict movement. And when it's fluid and moving and gliding, things go better. And so just pause for a moment. And again, just kind of take stock of the distance between the ear and the shoulder and the shoulder and the ear and the sense of the length of the neck on each side and the way the shoulder blades resting. And it's with this awareness that we can change. You might've noticed, wow, my shoulder blade doesn't glide on my ribs at all. Or wow, I feel like I have to shift all my body weight to do this little movement. Or wow, I can just do a tiny little tilt at the top of my neck. All of these are right answers. All of these are awareness that you discovered through movement. And that was the point of the Feldenkrais method. It was about the awareness, not the movement. As my teacher Mia Siegel would say, the movement is simply an excuse to learn something. The movement is simply an excuse to learn something. And so if we're really trying to make a movement, that's not what we're doing here. That's not Feldenkrais. That might be exercise, but it's not Feldenkrais because it's about moving in a non-habitual way. And that's another key word for Feldenkrais method, non-habitual, something you don't normally do that you do not have a habit of. Um, a non-habitual movement, because with non-habitual movements, we pay attention. The nervous system goes, whoa, what's that? It's not something I normally do. What are we doing, right? And that's what we have to do. We have to capture our own nervous system to pay attention so that we can learn something new. Okay, so back in 2012, I'd seen this horse for three years. I'd used my hands. I'd given him Feldenkrais lessons. He was moving better and better. She was getting eights on harmony for horse and rider in her dressage scores. And then she changed the saddle in the month prior to that, in that interval between April and May. And, May. Um, and the saddle turned out, it was a bit crooked. She wanted a jumping saddle and it was a jumping saddle, but it was a bit crooked. And then of course the farrier quicked the horse because he was uncomfortable because the saddle was crooked, which the owner didn't realize. And when I saw the horse, he was short in the right hind leg. One might say, you know, lame. He was not moving freely in the right hind leg. Um, we changed the saddle back because her dressage saddle was there, but he was still moving short in the right hind leg. So that night I went home and my horse happens to live at Dr. Joyce Harmon's house, which is one of the reasons I can get her as a guest so often. Um, and um, I called her up and she wanted to stand at her computer instead of sit. So back in 2012, Vera desks did not exist. This whole idea of standing desks didn't exist. And so she was looking to have something to have her computer on and something to stand on. And she wanted a pad to stand on. And she's telling me about this. And while we're talking, she told me about how they were using different types of pads and things for rehab for dogs. And so I'm tapping away on my computer and I'm looking at dogs standing on all these different objects. And, you know, we were talking about it. And I said, do you think that would work for Dante? Because she knew the horse. And she said, I don't know. Give it a try and time it for 15 seconds. And so, you know, when you're working with your horses, just remember that my very first experiment, I timed at 15 second intervals. That's all it took. And I grabbed something out of my shed. I drove to the lesson. She was already on the horse. I walked up to her. I, my students are very used to me doing strange things. And I picked up his right hind leg. I stuck this pad underneath. I set it down. I timed it and he walked off completely different in 15 seconds. And it has, to this day, it has taken over my life to this day. That 15 seconds rocked my world. So 
Um, I spent some time with him. He was moving better and better, but he would not let me do his front feet at all. Um, the next horse was a quarter horse with a poor canner who would not let me do his back feet, but I could do his front feet. And in an hour we had a round canner. And the next was a halflinger who would let me do anything <laughs> all four feet, but I only had two pads. And in an hour we had a round canner. And that person who owned the halflinger is Catherine Wyckoff who is a fellow Feldenkrais practitioner. She has a PhD in physical therapy. She is now an animal uh, uh, from UT Tennessee, CERP, I think it is, uh, certified equine rehabilitation practitioner. I think she's CERP um, or CERT, anyway, technician. Um, and she is a uh, one of my four hoof practitioner. She speaks French. She'll be hopefully going over to France this summer so that she can do some surefoot practitioner workshops over there in France. But Catherine and I have, have known each other for before this, and um, she's still as enthusiastic and excited about surefoot today as she was on that day when I showed her, um, as am I. And the reason we're so excited about surefoot is that Horses are being helped all around the world. So, you know, my first thing was, is it my technique or is it this technique? Is it my skill as a Feldenkrais practitioner that's doing this or is it the, the surefoot technique? And it turns out it's the surefoot technique because we literally have people all around the world using surefoot to benefit their horses. And so, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting thing to create an entirely new category. It's a little overwhelming at times. It's a little bit daunting. It's a lot of work, um, but it has so many rewards. And the rewards are that you can help your horses, that you can do this with your horse and make a huge change, that you can bring comfort to horses, awareness, change in patterns and understanding. And you know, think about how many times we've seen somebody kind of pigeonhole a horse. Oh, he's just, uh, you know, he's just lazy or, oh, he's just, he's always grumpy or, you know, he, he doesn't like his canner left lead. Like, I don't know. Um, so, but we tend to, and it's normal. Okay. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just normal that we, when we, when we run out of ideas, when we, when we run out of understanding, when we run out of uh, possibilities, then we, well, then we have to deal with this thing that we can't solve or this thing that everybody has jointly decided is the way it is. And so we kind of get into this uh, pattern of, of um, diminishing or discounting or you know, writing off or saying, well, that's just the way he is and you just have to deal with it. You just have to tell him he's, you know, um, and sadly, and I think this is also true, that um, some of our, uh, our ways of dealing with horses are arcane, archaic, are, uh, you know, passed down generation after generation, that we believe without question that that's, those myths are true, like that horses can't transfer information from one hemisphere to the other in their brain. They actually have a huge, what's called corpus callosum, which is the highway that transfers information. Um, that we, you know, we have to train both eyes because they don't transfer information. That's totally false. Their optic nerves have more cross-brain connections than we do. Um, but, but we grow up with these myths. And I, I admit that I grew up with these myths as well. Some good, you know, that you put the saddle on, you slide it back and not just leave it sitting up on the shoulder. Um, uh, but, you know, unless and until we examine our 
belief systems about horses, we, we are not going to make progress. And I think one of the things that Surefoot does and has done and is doing is providing an opportunity to reevaluate our belief systems and to reevaluate how we look at a particular horse and to reevaluate what actually is happening there and to assess in a new non-habitual way. So Surefoot is as non-habitual for people as it is for horses. Um, you know, when I first started and I would show up with this foam pad with different colors and people would look at me and they pretty much thought I was nuts um, <laughs> until I put the pad underneath the horse's foot and they saw with their own eyes what happened or they sat on the horse and they felt with their own body the changes. And it's it's with that, like if I try to describe to people surefoot and what, you know, what the horses do and they lick and chew and sigh and drop their necks, you know, and people look at me like, yeah, right. And when I tell them it can happen really fast, they're like, yeah, right. Um, but when they see it, there's no denying it. When they see it, the horse can't lie. He can't say, well, I'm doing this just to make you happy. You know, they, they can't do it. And so, and the other thing that I think is so important is that we're, when we're in the presence of these horses that are on pads and where we see the parasympathetic kick in and the relaxation and the letdown and everything is um, we are in the field of that horse. And we, as herd animals, we are also herd animals. Just notice how you're feeling being stuck in your house in a pandemic and not able to party and socialize. So we are herd animals. Um, we are in the presence of those horses and we feel and sense the changes in our own nervous system as the horses go through their process. And I know this because when I do a Surefoot uh, practitioner workshop, I have to be extremely careful with the duration, the amount of time that we work with horses because by, you know, um, an hour or two, everybody's drooling. Everybody's like, oh, they're just all in that same dreamy space as the horse because we've been washed in this same, uh, I hate to word, use the word energy, but we're in the same environment. We're social animals. We're, you know, go and watch some of my webinars on the vagus nerve. I think I probably need to do another one because it's so important. But vagus nerve has a social component. In other words, uh, the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. It's the largest nerve in our body. It has a huge amount down in the gut. Some people think of it like your gut brain. And it has a piece that's uh, unmyelinated and a piece that's myelinated. So myelinated, think insulation on the wires. Unmyelinated, no insulation. So there's a primitive part and a more um, uh, advanced part. And like, if somebody comes up to you and does something and you flush, you can't help that. That's Vegas. That's like, wow. Right. Um, but the side of Vegas that perceives social engagement is that, uh, you look around and you go, Oh, they look okay. They look safe. They look, they're relaxed. They're okay. Horses are doing this too. Dogs, cats, mammalian. It's a mammalian thing. Um, we all do this and we check in with our social environment to, to recognize, is it safe? And so when we're around horses that are in this dreamy state from standing on surefoot pads, we're all feeling that's that same feeling. Our nervous systems are responding to the nervous systems around us as a herd. 
and we're all going, whoa, we're safe and it's great. And we're like, oh man. And so I have to be so careful to dose the amount of time we work with the horses because otherwise by, you know, a couple hours, I don't have any people left that are ready to do anything because the nervous system has come down so far. So in terms of the, the autonomic nervous system, you have sympathetic and parasympathetic. Right now, you're probably in parasympathetic, you're at home, you're watching this on your computer, you're safe, you probably got your drink, you know, you've had something to eat, you're comfy, and so your nervous system is calmed down. But to stand up and go upstairs just to open the door for the cat, you need some sympathetic, you need to be able to get up out of the chair. And so it's this lovely little sine wave of sympathetic and parasympathetic right, that allows us to be called into action, sympathetic, a little bit of sympathetic, or to called into rest. And it's when we get out of balance that we get in trouble, when we're spiking too high, fight and flight, you know, the horse is like terrified and it's out of here, or you're wide-eyed and terrified and you're out of here, or, you know, really low and lethargic. And so we all pick up on this uh, group experience, so it's one of the things I love about Surefoot because I'll start working with a horse. And, and just for those of you that might be new to Surefoot, you start with one foot and one pad, typically harder and move to a softer because if it's too much give to start with, it can make the horses anxious. Um, the easiest way to think about that is when you're starting an exercise program for you to work on your balance. And by the way, you can use all your Surefoot pads because we do use them with humans. Um, you start in something harder that's going to give you more support, and then you move to more unstable surfaces to challenge your balance. So in very much the same way, with Surefoot, you would start with harder and move to softer, and there's a few exceptions to that, but that's the general rule. And you start with one foot because every time you put a foot on an unstable surface, it's either having to redistribute that load or figure that out. And when you go to add a second foot, doesn't matter front or hind. Now you have one foot on an unstable surface trying to steady, right? And then you pick up another foot. Okay, so now I'm on two on the ground and one that's on an unstable surface. And, you know, I might feel out of balance. And so that's what we're um, having to be careful of when we're using Surefoot, especially in the beginning. Sorry about the phone ringing. Um, uh, is that we're challenging that horse's balance but at the same time, when we put that foot on a pad, what we see is this parasympathetic response, this grounding effect, this relaxation effect, which is different than what we see in people. Um, yes, we see people, they'll sigh, they'll reorganize, they'll soften, but we don't see the degree that we see in horses. And in my opinion, that's probably due to A, they're quadrupeds, and B, their hoof is such a unique structure, this encased foot. Um, and so they'll, you see an almost immediate change in the nervous system in, in not all cases, but in the majority, in the bell curve, in the majority of horses, you'll see a breathing change in three to 10 seconds. So if you're wondering about that, just the next time, pay attention to the breathing when you put the horse's foot on the pad, pay attention to the breathing and you'll probably see some sort of breath that's a releasing breath in three to 10 seconds. You'll see eye blinks, lick and chew, head lowering, sighing, muscle relaxation, fascial relaxation, maybe fascial carding. You might even see wrinkling in the fascia. Um, they might walk off. They might be unable to stand on the unstable surface. Let them walk off. 
what they're showing you there is they're not stable, right? They're not grounded enough to be able to handle that. That's what you want to know. That's actually what you want to know. Oh, my horse, he had to walk off. Go with him, right? Let him walk off and come back and offer again. When we try to hold them and keep them still, what happens is their anxiety level goes up because they know they're out of balance. And this is a big thing about, you know, I have so many people come to me with horses that, oh, my horse is disrespectful. He's not a good, you know, I'm not a good leader, blah, blah, blah. They give me all this information. And I'm like, um, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is that your horse isn't well grounded, that he can't find that stability. And when we start to use Surefoot, we see that the horses can ground, they can relax, they can feel secure, they feel safe. Um, they identify that safety with us, which is really important because if I'm sort of an anxious person, I'm going to my horse and I'm trying to make him stand, he's only going to get more anxious, right? He's, it's going to be harder for him. But if I go to him and I say, let me make you feel good. Let me offer you something that helps you feel better, right? That helps you feel more grounded, that helps you feel more secure, that helps you feel more relaxed. They're going to, they're so quick to pick up on this. So quick to pick up on this. And so, you know, when I started, I was just, you know, trying to figure this thing out. What have I got? What have I got under my hands, right? What, have, what, am I, what are these changes I'm seeing? How fast are they happening? And uh, one of the first people I called was Dr. Robert Belker. By the way, he's, he'll be coming back for another webinar, um, who is like the hoof guru. And he was not surprised at all at what I was seeing. Um, not at all. He's, because he's done some experiments that... Uh, in a, are not the same, but in a way show um, he was seeing increased blood flow just using a, a washcloth. Um, so he, he was not surprised at all. And then the next, one of the next people I talked to was Dr. Stephen Peters. I've had him talk twice. Please watch his webinars on the horse's brain. They're fabulous. I'm going to try and see if I can get him back again. Um, and he I told him it happened fast. He happened to be in Ohio at the time. He's moved a couple of times since then and now retired, but I went to his place. And when I told him this happens fast, he, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he saw it, he was astounded at how rapidly, because I worked with his horses whom he knew quite well. And he saw these changes happen so rapidly. And so Dr. Peters is who I went to to go, what's happening in the nervous system? How can this happen so rapidly? And we still don't have all the answers. I don't know that we will ever have all the answers, but we have enough evidence uh, from, I don't even, untold numbers of horses that are benefiting from Surefoot. We have enough evidence to know that this is actually true. Um, that this hoof is a sensory organ. Going back to Dr. Bowker, we are influencing the sensory organ in the hoof that is eliciting a change in the entire nervous system of the horse. But more than that, we're probably affecting blood flow, um, fascia. Uh, we're bringing comfort. There's nociceptors, pain receptors. We're affecting joints. Um, and the cool thing is that the lasting effect of these changes. So I've literally seen horses in under 10 seconds, like totally change. I've literally seen horses with one session that totally changed. I have reports of people that tell me about how they use Surefoot and their horse totally changed. And, and what you have to realize is that it's a bell curve, that some horses are going to show instant change 
Some horses, it's going to take time seeing the pads on a regular basis. Some horses are going to reject it completely. Some horses might reject it. And I've seen this. Uh, I had one horse, he was running backwards before I ever even got within 20 feet of him. Um, I worked with him for just a few minutes. I saw him six months later. He stood on four pads with no halter in the middle of an arena and fell asleep. Um, so just because the horses say no one day does not mean it says no. It's just not that day. Um, I, I've seen, you know, I've worked with people under saddle. I really like to do that. If you have help that someone can place the pads underneath your horse's feet while you're on the horse, then the reason for this is that so often we pigeonhole our horses. My horse never takes the left lead. My horse always falls in on the right shoulder. My horse, blah, blah, blah. Or we're even, we're managing it. We don't even know what we're managing. We're just unconsciously managing the balance. Um, Jan Trepvo probably said it best. I worked with him with his Grand Prix horse. And at the end, he said, I no longer have to train. I simply get to ride. And that was probably one of the most beautiful statements that the, he was managing some issues with this horse, you know, just helping her along, helping her along. And once we did sure, but he didn't have to help. She was able to figure it out herself. Um, if anybody has any questions, please put them in the chat because I can roll on like this forever. Um, because it's just for me, it's so exciting to see the enthusiasm and the acknowledgement that we can make a difference for our horses in such a simple way. And, you know, there's so many wonderful techniques out there. Um, and I love the Tellington Jones work. I've been a team practitioner for a very long time and there's Masterson method and there's, you know, and there's rehab training and, and, and they're all great, but a lot of them take time to learn. And um, with Surefoot, there's some basic rules. Keep your hand behind your back, the other hand, so that you keep yourself safe, keep your hands away from the hoof, listen to the horse, but it's not a high tech, doesn't require a ton of skill. So you can quickly begin to make changes, can quickly help horses and it's portable. You can take it wherever you go. So, okay. So back in 2012, I started doing this. I started messing around. I talked to Bob Belker. I talked to, um, um, Stephen Peters and I was in Holland and I sat on a horse that somebody did the pads under his feet while I sat on the horse. I felt all these changes. We videoed it and I showed it to Mia Siegel, my Feldenkrais mentor um, who worked with Dr. Feldenkrais uh, many years ago. Um, and she pointed out the changes that she could see at C67 in the pelvis in this video that I showed her, which was maybe 20 minutes. Um, and so, you know, it was that I knew I had something I knew I had something profound. I knew I had something that needed to be shepherded, that needed to be guided, needed to be sorted out, needed to be worked through to come up with a, a program, a system of how to do this that's kind of consistent. Um, but of course, you know, people always go to me, well, you know, uh, my horse has this and this and this, which pad should I use? I can't tell you. I can tell you this is where I'd start but I have to look at the horse and see his response to know where I'm to go because the horse is the guide to this program. The horse is the one that's gonna give me the feedback. My job is to become a very good observer and look at what's going on, not chat with my friends or sit on my cell phone or any of those things. I have to stay right there with my horse and watch and observe. And 
observe, does he tolo, does he helo, does he step off, does he slip, does he slide the pad around, does he bring his front leg way underneath and his shoulder is way past, and of course he falls through his shoulder if that's how he's standing. Um, does he always hold his head over one foot? When he walks off, is there a difference? And as we become better observers, and this is really the role of the person doing surefoot. For the horse, we can see they're going to figure it out. They're going to find that benefit. They're going to let down. It, they, they, we provide the opportunity. They take advantage of that opportunity. They change. We're not making them change. We're just providing the environment. But for us, for the person facilitating the horse, the job is to become a better observer. As we become a better observer, we can actually address some of the things that are going on. If we see when we put the horse on a pad, wow, he really drove his toe down and wow, there's no way to look. He's really only standing on one leg. Wow, we need to talk to our vet, our farrier, our body worker, our team and go, did you notice this? And what can we do about it, right? Maybe we need some stretches. Maybe we just need more surefoot. Um, Maybe we need to change the shoeing. Maybe we need to treat something. Maybe there's actually some diagnostic work that needs to be done. Um, but the, the, the Surefoot provides the, the environment and the opportunity and the non-habitual. And I can't tell you, like I have a horse that I've been working with and I've known for many years and I've looked at him every day and I put him on Surefoot pads and I saw stuff that I'd never seen before. And I was like, wait a second, I never noticed that, right? It was the change, the non-habitual environment, the give of the pad underneath the foot that allowed me to see what was in front of me in a different way. And when I took him off the pad, now I could still see it. So it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've ever heard the story. I don't know how true it is. But as the story goes, when the explorers came from Europe over to, to America and they landed here, the natives couldn't see the boats they had no experience of the ships that these people sailed over in. And so they couldn't see them. And so the shaman of the village went to the water's edge and he stood there and he looked and looked and looked. And suddenly what he noticed was that the waves were lapping onto the ground, onto the shore in a different way than normal. And it was by seeing these waves come onto the shore in a different pattern that allowed him to see the ship. And that is such a metaphor for what we're doing with Surefoot, that the give of the pad is that wave. The give of the pad allows the opportunity to start seeing something that has been in front of us the whole time, but because it's been very static or very rigid or very familiar, we, we didn't see it. And that the pads help us see that difference. And then with that difference, we can make a change. So somebody's asked me a question. She says, can a horse get habituated to surefoot pads if they stand on them every day? Or because they have to constantly balance, do they not become habituated? Well, I have to tell you that what they become habituated to is the comfort. Um, so, um, and the nice thing is with the variety of pads, you can always be offering them different combinations to bring in that awareness. Um, and uh, Felicitas von Neumann Cosell, I recommend that you go watch her webinar. She uses them every single day with the horses she has in training. She's actually reduced the number of horses in training so that she can use Surefoot with the horses every single day. Um, and so there are other benefits to it, including the relaxation. But 
the piece about the habituation that I, I want to talk about is great because I was going to talk about it and I forgot. Uh, we have someone out in Colorado that has a piece of equipment that is looking at, um, so she can look at heart rate and heart rate variation. And she's been, she has a mini who's had a very elevated heart rate. And she started using Surefoot with him. And she was noticing that when he is on Surefoot pads, his heart rate came down like it was like at 80. Normal is like 40. Oh, normal is, yeah, 40. Um, and it was like at 80. And so she noticed now it was when he was on the pads, it was at 60. And then one day she went out and the horse's heart rate was already low. And so she emailed me and she said, you know, his heart rate was already low. And so I emailed her back and I said, did he see the pads before you got there? And she said, yes. And so what they habituate to is the comfort, the, the what Surefoot's gonna do for them. And that's fabulous because that means that, say you're in a scary environment, you just pull out your pad. In some cases, you don't even have to put their foot on it or you only have to do one foot because they're already habituated to the letdown associated with Surefoot. Um, and so, you know, he had, that was my, I've seen this enough to know that Horses probably even recognize my voice and know I'm bringing pads. Um, but I can see horses that are already let down and very relaxed when I show up because they know I'm bringing them surefoot. And we've had horses that um, then you can actually take it into a way to of training, uh, positive uh, reinforcement in that um, I've had horses where this one had a, had a hippie hoppy trot. He would Trot and Hippie into Canner and Trot. His name is Shiner and he's on a webinar that I did with Robin Hood. You can see some of that video. Um, and after a couple sessions, he was so looking forward to the pads that he was hurrying to get to the arena. Um, and then what I was, I set them out in a circle and I stood in the middle and he would have to trot around on the circle. And then I would start walking to a pad and he would trot to that pad and I put his foot on the pad. So I played musical pads with Shiner. And he was so enthusiastic. This was a horse that was typically really kind of sullen and withdrawn and oh, so put upon. And here he is bright and shining, his ears are up and he would watch me and he'd watch to see what pad I was going to go to. And then he'd trot over there and he trotted. No hippie hop, no little funny canter things. This is after we'd done a couple of sessions and figured out that he had a couple of legs that didn't lift very easily and that got easier and easier. But I used it as positive reinforcement. So he got so excited about this. He loved it. And we took what was typically, oh, you know, I got to go to work to, wow, what are we going to do today? Um, and I've known other people to stand ringside with their pad and the horse comes in to do the dressage test and sees the pad, <sighs> takes a big breath and goes and performs. Um, so yes, they do become habituated, but in a really positive way. Um, another question is, have I used the pads while trim? Absolutely. So um, for a horse that finds it different. In fact, um, yesterday I had Ann Ramsey on. She's a, a, a farrier and rehabilitation specialist. And she was even saying, and I have a number of farriers that use the physio pad, the lower profile, inch and a half. I have one here, but it's under my computer to get the height. So I don't want to take it out. Um, inch and a half, inch of hard, half inch of medium. You can use it on either side. And we designed that pad specifically for uh, hoof care professionals to make the horses more comfortable so that you could work on them. And Anne said in her webinar yesterday that there are horses that she would absolutely not be able to work on without our Surefoot Physio Pad. 
Um, and I have a, another farrier in Tennessee's 45 year master farrier who after two years, we gave him a pad. It was a prototype of the farrier pad two years before. And he called me up and he said, that pad is the only thing that allows me to work on some of these horses. So um, in my own personal experience, I had to have surgery. It's now two years ago. Um, Long story short, I developed a bone spur under the greater trochanter, but when they got in, they found out the glute medius muscle, the middle media, uh, glute muscle only had 25% attachment of the tendon. So they put in two screws into the greater trochanter and they stitched up into the tendon, big surprise. <laughs> um, and I, 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 three weeks after surgery, I still couldn't stand on my left leg without holding on. Um, and I happened to be washing my pads for a trip to Costa Rica four weeks after my surgery. Anyway, that's another story. Um, and I just thought, well, what if I just stand on my pad? So I threw it on the floor and I stepped on my pad, the physio pad, and I could stand on that pad for 15 seconds without holding on. And then I'd step off onto the ground and I absolutely could not stand on my left leg without holding onto the counter. And then I'd step on the pad again and I could stand. And so from my own personal experience, uh, it, that pad allowed me to recover function in my left leg and allowed me to stand on my left leg um, after surgery. And so we have so many people um, using the physio pad while they're trimming or showing um, to bring comfort to the horses. And that was specifically what it was designed for. Um, and so, yeah, it's great. Um, if you have any other questions, just pop them in the chat. I'm, let's see, where was I? So, you know, just we keep, the whole reason I started these webinars, to be absolutely honest, was to figure out how Surefoot's working. We've done 145 webinars now, and that question is still unanswered, but we have a lot more uh, ideas. Um, in other words, without really strict scientific research, we can't say for certain how Surefoot is working, but you know what? It just doesn't matter. We know that it does. This is now nine years of experience, not just by me, but by people all around the world, um, by vets and farriers and trainers and lay people and lame horses and healthy horses and anxious horses and calm horses. And so anytime you wanna bring your horse comfort, you want to offer something really nice for your horse or your horse is has something going on. Surefoot is not going to resolve the problem. It's also not going to cause a problem. So just remember that Surefoot's not going to cause anything. It may make it more obvious. And I've seen that. I've seen where um, I was working with a vet and he was doing the lameness locator as a baseline on all these horses. And this one horse came up a little lame on the lameness locator and we put him on surefoot fads. And then when we did it again, he was really lame. And the vet said, oh, soft tissue injury. So he could identify what to look for based on the reaction of the horse to the pad. But the horse was already lame. We, didn't, we just made it obvious. Um, if it's a habit, then surefoot is so great because Horses and people, remember I started talking about habits. You, you hurt your heel, you start walking funny. You know, it gets, uh, you're not painful anymore, but you're still walking funny. And then you develop all these comp compensatory patterns. Surefoot can help rewind all that, restore back to function. 
um, instead of allowing habits of poor function to now cause injuries because of the displacement, because of the dysfunction. So anytime you're working in um, a setting where you're wanting to improve performance and good function, Surefoot can be uh, a piece of that. It's not going to, you know, I mean, in some cases, it's the only thing you need, but I'm not going to say that it's the only thing you need. Um, it really depends on the individual and good diagnostics is super important. If you have a lame horse, an ill horse, something going on, you really want some good diagnostics. So you know what you're dealing with. So you don't make it worse using Surefoot. Um, but we now have, you know, like, it's just incredible to know, you know, how um, Colorado State University, Dr. Melissa King, you know, she's been using it in her rehab center there for years, Dr. Sherry Johnson. Um, more, we're gaining more and more credibility with the veterinarians and, and it's becoming a little easier to describe to people because we're, the, the idea of proprioception, in other words, the sensors that tell us where we are in space can become altered and become uh, pain sensors instead of uh, awareness, instead of telling me where my hand is, suddenly it's telling me I hurt. Right, um, and we can restore those proprioceptors back to good function using Surefoot. Uh, we can make horses more comfortable while they're being shod. Anxious horses calm down, um, improve relationships. Just there's so many different ways to apply it, which is one of the things why it's been hard for people to kind of get their arms around it. It's like, what is this little foam pad, and what can it do? Well, it can do a whole lot more than your really fancy footing in some cases. Um, and it's limited by your imagination. Anytime you are working with a horse and you think, wow, I have this issue going on. Hey, great time to just put them on a pad and observe. Look at what you've got in front of you. Look at the balance. Look at the way the hoof is taking weight. Is it going into the toe, the heel, the sides? Um, look at how the shoulder is in relation to the foot. Where's the neck? Where's the head? Is the horse, you know, as he moves his head, does he lose his balance and have to step off? Does he, can, can he not stay? And it's really in the Feldenkrais idea, there's no right or wrong. There's simply what is. And as we stick with these observations and not conjecture, not try to label or not try to pigeonhole, if we just go, you know, like a lot of times I simply narrate what I see. I blink, tail swish, lick and chew, head lower, shift weight right. I just narrate it to myself to make sure that I stay in the observer mode and not in the judgmental mode of, oh, that means, oh, that's why, right? And then kind of allow myself to narrate, to, to get a sense of going on. And then I might ask the owner, you know, look, I see how the foot is so toward midline and the shoulder's way over. Does that horse fall through the shoulder when you turn right? Oh yeah, wow, well, this might be, what's setting that up because this foot's, but if we do sure foot a few times, wow, look, now we've got the foot in line with the shoulder and suddenly the owner goes, hey, he doesn't fall through the shoulder anymore. So those are observant observations and making connections as opposed to, you know, well, he's just doing that because, or, you know, he doesn't want to do. Um, and it's hard for us as people, as humans, to let go of some of these years of indoctrinating dogma, um, years of being someone else telling us what that means instead of using our own senses to observe and un understand just some basic physics, gravity, you gotta organize in gravity, you're gonna fall down. 
You got a big old head, 40 pound head at the end of a three foot lever arm. You know, if I swing that around, I'm going to have to put my foot out to help myself stay upright. Or I can organize well enough to keep the weight balanced on my forefeet that I can turn my head and look and still feel secure. When you start looking at your more confident horses, that's what you're going to see is that their balance is not disturbed. And so my conclusion after so many years of doing Surefoot is that the majority of behavior problems are balance problems. Um, pain is also a great cause of behavior, but balance problems, the horse is, if he's in pain, he's not going to be in good balance. And so we got to do something and he's feeling insecure because he's losing his balance, just like you would if I kind of pushed you off an edge. Um, and suddenly we get these behaviors, right? So whether it's out of balance mentally, emotionally, or physically, I've seen Surefoot help all those conditions because when we give them that grounding, that sense of stability on their four feet, and believe me, there are horses that didn't know they had a foot at the end of their leg, some of them that I've worked with. Um, but when they sense that earth and that ground and they feel secure, then they can take a breath. They can be present in their world. They can handle things that come at them. They become more resilient. They become better partners. We become better observers so that we can be better partners because if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. So I've come to the end of my hour. I am, um, oh, I have a question here. Let me just take that question. He says, I, I offer three different sets of pads to my gelding. He often stands on them for a few seconds and then pushes them off. I offer again and he pushes off. Do I make, yeah. I would wait a couple of days and come back and do it again. Um, I might uh, uh, just do one foot and a few minutes and give it a rest. I might go to the back feet. A lot of times if they're pushing the pad back, they want it under the back feet. I might also go harder rather than softer. Um, some horses, uh, you know, it's, it's un I've seen horses where they feel a little unnerved by it. Um, it's like, whoa, wait a second, what is this thing, right? So give them a little rest for a little while give, and then just one foot with the harder pad and, and see what happens. Um, and if you have the chance to work with another horse, it's always interesting because, um, you know, the more horses you do, the more experience you get with this stuff. And then you can see the, the variety and, um, and just how it's all over the map. It's all over the map, just like with people. So people go, you know, what pad should I start with? Um, <laughs> the one your horse likes. No, actually, uh, typically we start with hard or firm. If the horse is anxious or nervous at all, it's going to be hard. And if it, they're calm, it's firm. And uh, in many cases, actually, if I don't know a horse and I'm not certain, I'll start with the physio pad. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I have some more guests lined up for next week. I just found out that Bob Bowker's willing to come back. Uh, it'll be the end of the month. Um, and we'll keep having these webinars just, uh, you know, through the winter. And um, be safe out there and take care. Thanks a lot. Bye.